Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. What's up? It's Friday, May 22nd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, and I'm joined right now by Blair Angulo, the new host of the new 24-7 sports football recruiting podcast. Blair is also a recruiting reporter over here at 24-7 Sports. Blair, what's going on? Nothing much, Trey. Just trying to get this show off the ground. You know, we're uh, we've been we've been excited all week to to try to roll it out, and and it's been really fun. We've gotten some really good feedback the the first couple episodes. So yeah, we're we're excited. Yeah, I definitely wanted to get you on this week. Accomplishing that uh, to to plug this show, I actually just finished listening to Thursday's episode, which was a a really cool sort of coast to coast audit of the recruiting landscape for the class of 2021 you had a few 24 7 sports analysts on the pod it's the second podcast you guys have dropped this week seems like it's going to be a big hit tell me before we get going on these talking points tell me and then by default tell tell the people listening to this sort of the the strategy for the show and, and your plan for it yeah, the premise is essentially to bring the entire recruiting analyst team together into one package, right? We all have boots on the ground in all corners of the country. We've got the Northeast, the South, uh, the Midwest, you know, down in Texas, uh, out here, out West on the West Coast. We, we've just got so, so much presence nationally that for the you know for the most part i think sometimes that gets lost and 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 a lot of that gets maybe hidden so we want to bring that to light to say hey we're here we're bringing you the 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 latest recruiting info the latest buzz uh and and at the same time we want to make it fun right we want to be able to have conversations about some of these recruits that you know eventually will turn into college football stars and nfl draft picks and you know i know that recruiting fans are are so diehard there's it's it's such a strong niche and uh, we want to be able to cater to those diehards we want to we want to be able to uh, bring a lot of passion and a lot of energy a lot of information to to what they desire obviously everyone's on the message boards everyone's checking uh, Twitter and, and social media for all the latest recruiting news and I think this is another really cool avenue uh, an audio version of, of that to be able to bring as much information as possible yeah, I think you flexed that execution in the, in the most recent episode, which is titled Coast to Coast Five Star Rap. I mean, you started it with having Brian Doan on uh, to talk about some East Coast kids and Tony Grimes, a five-star cornerback, getting a little North Carolina buzz. You ended the show talking to Brandon Huffman, your former co-host on uh, best of the rest or was it west of the re- it, it was yeah it was west of the rest so west yeah, of the rest the, yeah the thought process behind that title was you know there's there's the rest of the country and and the west is is sometimes forgotten and and for good reason i think recently right given the pac 12 and given the fact that that conference and even the mountain west they they haven't been at at the level of the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten, um, so yeah, we we labeled it West of the Rest, uh, just you know to kind of play off of the word. 
No, I, and I appreciate you kind of helping me make that segue there because I did want to have you on not to just plug the show, but also to talk recruiting with you, Blair. And you're a West Coast guy, Los Angeles native, UCLA grad. But right now I want to talk to you about USC, the Crosstown Rivals. So you and Brandon talked about, the, or no, you and Brian actually talked about this. And I heard you mention USC's recruiting and you talk about the Trojans. There's sort of a romance involved about them, right? That, that kids, like even when USC is not good, and they haven't really been very good in a few years, but there's still this this appeal, this this allure that was built during the Pete Carroll days. It still draws kids from across the country, and they've got a commit from Maryland. They've got a few commits from Texas, and they currently have a recruiting class that ranks number five. And Blair, I just want to get your general sense of, is this a class that can sustain such a, a lofty ranking? Is this USC recruiting momentum for real? Because I'm pretty surprised that that they have such a good class right now after the number 54 finish in 2020 and with a lame duck going on two years now as a head coach in Clay Helton. I think that's one of the most fascinating questions heading into whatever season or whatever that looks like here in the state of California, given the fact that we don't know whether there's going to be a season this fall, right? So I think with USC specifically, when you look at the pandemic and the maybe the roadblocks it has created in recruiting where prospects aren't able to take visits, prospects aren't evaluated in person, it's really slowed things down dramatically across the country. With a with a program like USC, which recruits itself essentially, right, with the prestige, with the tradition, with all the history, the Heisman trophies, uh, the name, right, the brand, USC, I think, capitalizes on that during this pandemic when everything else is equal, when no one's able to hit the road, when no recruits are able to take visits, USC's name carries it. So I think that's what we've seen you know, really make the Trojans an attractive option for a lot of recruits. And they've had some success in the state of Texas. They have a couple of new assistants, Craig Navar coming over from Texas. Um, you know, they, they, they bring in a, a Graham Harrell a couple of years ago, and now he's uh, heading into his second season as an offensive coordinator. He has some ties in the state of Texas. Vic Soto is a new defensive line coach from Virginia, has a lot of strong ties in the Polynesian community. He's been making a lot of waves out West and, and with his, you know, some of his connections that he built out East. Uh, Dante Williams is the former defensive backs coach at Oregon, obviously having just won the, the Pac-12 championship, having won the Rose Bowl. He has a lot of, of attraction and a lot of buzz to his name. So with Clay Helton being able to replace and make some of those changes on the defensive staff, it, it has reinvigorated that 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 room. They, they have a new sense of energy. They just brought in the video coordinators at LSU. And I think we all remember, right, the, the hype videos yep. that surrounded that whole season. So they make that that move, uh, you know, to attract recruits. So, yeah, it's been a complete 180 for them. They, they finished number 10 among the Pac-12 programs in recruiting. And, and I don't think you would have ever imagined that USC would even finish in the bottom half, let alone two spots away from dead last in the conference. So they definitely ha have turned things around. Whether or not they're able to stay there, it remains to be seen. I think it's going to really depend on what they do on the field because, like you mentioned, Clay Hilton has been uh, – his seat has been a little hot, uh, you know, the last couple of years. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. 
Yeah, they, that 54 finish is shocking when you see it on paper, but it's... It should never happen. No, ever. but but ever. it was it, kind of like early signing period last December. It was, I think it was in the 70s. And I it, it, at one point it was. They had a lower class in the, in the, the Troy Trojans. And I just wonder, Blair, people there in Los Angeles, or if you got to go inside the football facility, I would imagine there was a sense of embarrassment or a sense of this won't happen again. And and look, coaches can say they don't really look at recruiting rankings. And I don't believe that. And they can say, we're really happy about the guys we have. And that's great too. And and USC does, does dig up some good talent from the three-star ranks. Keaton Slovis is an example of that, but there's no way that they signed that class, which finished 54th in, in 2020 and said, this is acceptable. No, no way. And you saw Clay Helton during his signing day ceremony in, in February when he is answering questions from the media, answering questions from the, the local writers. And I don't think he was even believing the words that were coming out of his mouth, right? In those <laughs> signing in those signing day press conferences, every player that a, that a school signed is going to make an impact, right? And and every player they love, every player uh, they they were beating a lot of really good schools for. I don't think that was the case for USC and, and Clay Helton. I know realized that he needed to make some changes. Like you know, like I mentioned, he did make some adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. He he brought in some more energy, brought in uh, guys that are going to go after. It and really try to make a, a push. And, and listen, I, I think all these coaches realize that Clay Hilton's stability isn't the best, right? So I think all these guys have to push and prove their worth. You know, whether or not Clay Hilton is that coach moving forward, they want to be able to have a spot in this USC coaching staff uh, if they do make a change at the at the head coaching position you know in the future at some point given the fact that USC does have to really answer to the critics on the field still they, they've done a good job of rebounding in recruiting uh, but they they have left a lot to be desired uh, you know, on the field and and in for in terms of a results standpoint so there's a lot to to be determined still and, and and but I think USC fans should be you know a little bit more optimistic than they were in in February yeah, I'll give him credit for that. We say USC recruits itself and that we can maybe each of us sort of roll into there and, and sign a top five class, which is what we're used to from the Trojans historically. But it's clearly much more competitive out there than it used to be. And the fact that you have a class that goes 54 one year and, and 19 the year before, it can't be that easy. So to have a class that even this early sits at number five is is rather remarkable given all the negative attention surrounding that program. Speaking of competition and it's harder for USC to lock down the state than it used to be 10 years ago, even five years ago. Blair, I think Ohio state is among the, like if you listed out the schools that are giving everybody out West the toughest time, it's Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, all of those, all of those schools sort of are in the same bucket. I think Ohio state is, primed in 2021 to be once again a major pain out west and especially in the state of washington right you've got two top 10 players uh jt tui tui did i say that right or wrong please you correct were me. you were almost there it, i want to try one it, more time i want to try one all more right time. all right let's go jt tui boom you got okay, it great that's the number one player in the top 24 7 
Amika Ibuka, a five-star receiver too. Both of those guys in the state of Washington right now, and I was just listening to you, you talk to Brandon Huffin about this, are possibly trending to Ohio State. Yeah, that would be probably the the forecast right now heading into the summer. Both of them uh, really high on the Buckeyes. You know, they, they have had a lot of success recruiting out West. And I think when Ohio State really targets a recruit, specifically in this region, it, it means something. I think the recruit understands that Ohio State can go anywhere in, in the country to get top talent. So when they are going in and, and, and visiting you at school and going to see you get up, going to see you play in a game or going to a practice. Uh, I think it carries a lot of weight. And, you know, both of these guys, Emeka Ibuka and JT Tui Moloau, have been targeted by Ohio State for a couple of years now. This isn't just new. This isn't, you know, these aren't recent offers. These have been relationships that have been, har- that, that have been harvested for a long time. And, you know, you, you point to what they did even last year. C.J. Stroud was a quarterback from Rancho Cucamonga who, who was a late riser who really started to make a, a name for himself in the summer heading into a senior season, uh, had a, a number of big-time offers. Georgia was in the conversation. Oregon was in the conversation. Ohio State ended up signing him. Uh, they got Court Williams out of St. John Bosco down in, in Southern California, you know, the school of, of Wyatt Davis, who's a current offensive lineman. So they have been – really active in the region and then you look at g scott jr uh jr the the receiver uh who also signed with ohio state in this last class so they are now starting to become a uh, like you mentioned a, a really a, a pest for a lot of these pastoral programs a lot of schools that are hoping to keep the talent in the west coast and you know the more they come out here and the more they they really start to to make a consistent presence i think the the more they're going to be successful in and being able to attain some of this talent and i think right now with jt tui Moloau, with a mecca buka you have to really like ohio state's chances yeah I, I, brandon huffman did a really good job breaking all that down too especially you get g scott if you're ohio state you had three other stellar receivers in that 2020 class to even be in the mix for it for an out of region five star is pretty remarkable. Blair, this is not a new storyline, but the PAC 12, the, the exodus of talent past the Rocky mountains. If you're one of these schools, if you're Larry Scott, the commissioner of the PAC 12, you're obviously concerned. What is, and it's a chicken and egg or chicken or egg argument too. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know how to fix it, but what is priority number one for any of these Pac-12 schools for starting to do a better job of tightening the region? Winning? I think, well, I think the the inability to be a serious player in the college football playoff has really affected things, right? So the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, you know, the Georgias, schools that are coming out to the West Coast, they have that to sell. They're in the conversation in late November to to continue to play football uh, late in the year to be in the mix for the college football playoff. Uh, a lot of these West Coast schools don't have that in, in their arsenal, right? They they are being recruited against, and, and they just don't have that. Some of these players won't have a chance to play for national championships. So, you, I think that's where you begin. The Pac-12 as a whole has to do a better job of of being a being 
able to take that next step nationally. I, I think right now they're cannib- cannibalizing themselves. You know, the, the schedule, when you look at it, the way they're scheduling things is, is completely uh, different than some of these other conferences. They're playing nine conference games. You know, they're, they're really struggling at times uh, with the scheduling, playing some Thursday night games after Saturdays, uh, playing some early Saturday games, playing on Friday nights. You know, the bye weeks don't line up. I think USC plays Stanford really early on in the year every season because they have Notre Dame later on. And that also affects USC because they're playing Notre Dame and no one else is. I mean, the, these are all things that they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot. And when you don't have a chance at the end of the year to be in the mix for the college football playoff uh, I think it it definitely affects recruiting it it definitely affects the ability for you to attract some of these players that want to play big time football want to be under the bright lights want to have the chance to really make uh, make a, a statement under the spotlight it's been about 15 years since the team out west won the national title when you talk to these kids are they growing up a fan still of a USC or a Washington or an Oregon? And even so, does that even matter anymore when Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama comes calling? Bryce Young, for instance, I would imagine at some point in his life, he grew up wanting to wanting to play for one of the California powerhouses. And yeah, he well, just, his father, yeah. yeah, his father's a UCLA grad, and he he like you know previously was committed to USC, had always dreamed of playing at USC. But even even those things, right? You you look at Chip Kelly at UCLA, his offense, what he's able to was he's been able to do at the quarterback position with Marcus Mariota and a couple other guys, and then USC. Given the fact that you had already committed there, but Bryce Young still decides I'm I'm not going to go there, right? I'm going to go across the country and and try to play big time football. That's going to be the the way I'm developed to play in the NFL and. Uh, I think we're seeing that across the board. It's become not only a USC problem, not only a UCLA problem, because there's a lot of talent here in Southern California, uh, but up and down the West Coast, it's becoming a real issue. And, and we're seeing it now, even with, like we mentioned with Washington, you know, in years past, those those players, the, the JT Tuimolaos, the Emeka Bukas, the G. Scott Juniors, those guys are staying home in Seattle and playing for Washington. You know, now they're big time enough to go and play for an Ohio State state go play for Clemson go play for an Oklahoma and and uh, I think it is a conference-wide issue now Oregon of of all these schools that we're talking about the Ducks have the best chance of I think getting back to the playoff shortly and and locking down some of these these states what about Oregon and Mario Cristobal has impressed you on the recruiting trail not just this class, but but last class too, and, and the class before that getting cave on Thibodeau. I think it's just the relentless attitude that that they have, right? Uh, Mario Cristobal taking over for Willie Taggart, um, but it had already really established himself as an elite recruiter. Uh, you know, during his time in the South at Alabama, I think he recognizes what it takes to be able to stay in the mix, to be able to steal some of these prospects from across the country and then to lock down some of the states out West, you know, landing the the five-star linebackers, uh, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, uh, being able to parlay the the success of of a Panay Sewell who just won the Outland Trophy as the nation's best offensive lineman. Uh, I, I think he 
is probably where it begins for them. There's not a head coach in the Pac-12 that is as energetic as he is. Every recruit that I speak to says that he's the guy texting them. He's the guy that is is staying in their ear. He's the guy that's making sure that they are recognized and, and know that they are wanted at Oregon. So that I think energy is really infectious. You know, the assistants feed off of that. They don't want uh, the head coach to be outshining them or out, outpacing them in, in terms of effort and recruiting when he has so much other stuff on his plate. So when the head coach is in charge and doing what he's doing, it just, I think it just re- reinvigorates and, and really establishes an identity. And, and they've been really relentless on the recruiting trail. Sure, they offer probably everyone, right? I think they're the school in the Pac-12 that probably offers the most recruits. So they're casting a wide net. Uh, but not all those players are are, are, are are takes, I think. And I think even though they do offer a lot of players, I think they really start to hone in on who's serious about going to Oregon. The offer is just that first step to, to say, hey, we're interested. And then they're able to hone in and zero in. And, and I think Cristobal has really mastered that formula. The impact he's had at Oregon reminds me of when Urban Meyer started at Ohio State and injected the Big Ten with a jolt of energy and and sort of this, the reality that if you don't start competing nationally on the recruiting trail, you have no chance because we're going to do it. Uh, I hope to see that Mario Cristobal has the same impact on the pac 12. Blair, I'm going to get you out after this one last question. I want to do a temperature check on your alma mater, the UCLA Bruins. What's going on here? Number 70 class in the class of 2021. Uh, last year was 32nd, which was better than it, it had been. Uh, they started pretty slow in 2020, if I recall correctly, too. Is Chip Kelly getting it done on the recruiting trail? How do fans feel about all this? You know, they, they are operating very uniquely uh, compared to a lot of other programs, specifically in the region. Right, so they're not offering that many players. I think they're their second least offers in terms of the Pac-12 schools. I think only Stanford has offered fewer players, and you understand that given Stanford's academic requirements and the admissions process to get into you know such a great private institution. Uh, and so I think UCLA is being very selective and trying to not play the recruiting game that is now very modernized. They're not offering you unless you're a take and they're not offering a a new prospect at that position until they know what another player that they have already offered is doing. So let's say they offered a receiver and he's committing to another school. That's when they will then offer the next guy on their board. It's just really meticulous and I respect the approach, right? You're, I think they're trying to be unique in that way, and they're trying to um, make that offer feel genuine, you know, so that they're not going to offer a prospect until they're ready to take that prospect. And, and I respect that approach. Uh, I think now they maybe need to analyze whether or not it's working in their favor, whether they're setting themselves back, whether, you know, the fact that they're not being able to build some of those relationships early on and, and really indicate early interest um, I think they need to analyze whether or not that's going to pay off in the long run now on the field I think they do need to uh, now take that next step you know winning three games winning four games that's not going to get it done for Chip Kelly anymore Uh, he needs now to to really turn that young talent and harvest it and 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 prove 
you know, that he was the right hire for the Bruins. You know, a lot of the fan base that I'm familiar with and, and you know, on the message board over at Bruin Report Online, the, the big discussion is why isn't he running the blur offense? You know, it was so it was so effective at Oregon. It was, you know, what he was doing with that up tempo and, and the high octane and, and, and running as many plays as you can and, and just gassing the defense. He's taken a, a more pro style approach at UCLA. He's running some, some three tight end sets at times. Uh, you know, they, he has been productive. They have been able to put some, some points on the board, uh, but there's just not the same level of excitement that we saw at Oregon. So I think that's going to be the next big thing to look for is whether or not chip, is able to now get some results on the field, get bowl eligible, and then see what he's able to do with a more older and, and experienced roster. A lot of question marks with everything you just brought up. He doesn't want to run his old offense. They don't want to recruit the way everybody else is. I'm glad you respect their approach. I don't know if I agree with it. I don't know if yeah, you do and, and that's and that's the thing. Like <laughs> I, I, in in theory, it, it seems like a a very noble thing to do, right? Like yeah. you're offering as you're able to take recruits, and and you totally understand that. You get that, and 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 you know, if if I was a parent of a recruit, I would completely respect that and say, okay, well, you know, if if I'm not at the top of the board, you know, and and you're not able to take me, why offer me? Um, but at the same time, it's working for so many other schools that aren't doing that. And, and they might be left in the dust if, if they don't alter or kind of change their approach. All right, Blair Angulo. You can follow him on Twitter at Angulo, host of the new 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Thanks for coming on, Blair. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We would love a five-star review and a rating. We would love for you guys to also, while you're doing that, go give the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast a five-star review or five-star rating. Leave it a review. Subscribe to it as well. So for Blair Angulo, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. I'm going to take Monday off. We will see you on Tuesday after the holiday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.